1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Unforbidden
0: Truth. truth, truth. Welcome to Unforbidden Truth. I'm Andrew. On this week's episode, I'll be speaking with the Alaskan Avenger, Jason Vukovic. Jason and his brother Joel had to endure physical, emotional, and sexual abuse as a child at the hands of their adopted father, Larry Lee Fulton. In an article on allthat'sinteresting.com, there's a quote that is from a letter Jason wrote to the Anchorage Daily News, and it reads, Both of my parents were dedicated Christians and had us in every church service, available two to three times a week. So you can imagine the horror and confusion I experienced when this man who adopted me began using late-night prayer sessions to molest me. On top of the sexual abuse, his adopted father would beat him and his brother Joel, He would use pieces of wood and whip them with belts. At his brother's trial, Joel testified, We'd roll over on the bunk beds and be up against the wall. It was my job to go first, so he would leave Jason alone. The father was charged with second-degree abuse of a minor in 1989, but served no prison time, and according to Jason, nobody came to check in on the family after the incident. The abuse continued until Jason was 16. It was then when him and Joel left and ran away. Ended up in Washington State, Jason had no idea or no money to survive out there, so he had to earn money and started to turn to a life of crime spanning through Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and California. According to various reports, Jason began tracking down convicted pedophiles and assaulting them. The first two victims were Charles Albee, convicted of second-degree abuse of a minor in 2003, and Andres Barbosa, convicted of possession of child pornography in 2014. The third victim, Wesley Demirst, convicted of attempted sexual abuse of a minor in 2006, was injured during the assault with a hammer, the first two victims were not seriously injured, and no weapon was involved with the first two victims, contrary to all the news reports claiming that these were all hammer attacks. Jason Vukovic was convicted of robbery and attempted assault, receiving a 28-year prison sentence, with five years being suspended. Jason is eligible for discretionary parole after serving six years. Here is my interview with Jason Vukovic.
1: An incarcerated individual at Spring Creek Correctional Center from
0: Jason Vukovic. You may start the conversation now. Where were you born?
1: I was born in Anchorage, Alaska.
0: What was your first positive memory as a child?
1: That's an interesting question. You know, I have no memories whatsoever of about 12 years old on back. So I suppose, and I think that's a trauma related response that the brain does, but uh, I suppose. Being around that age, 12 years old or so, having a paper route and being up very, very early in the morning in Alaska by myself, uh, that was very peaceful and serene uh, amidst the chaos of my home life. So those are good memories for me.
0: You said you had a lot of trauma in your childhood. What about your first negative memory, the first negative memory that sticks out
1: that you can remember? First negative memory. That's very interesting. Uh, I don't know if I could say first negative memory, but I will say, I mean, I have a number of negative associations with my upbringing. So, I mean, I was raised in a household where, you know, they decided that beating us with two-by-fours and things like that, belts, et cetera, et cetera, was was the way. Um, So I have a number of memories in that regard that are extremely negative you know so probably just childhood physical abuse like that is it's probably you know the, the negativity associated with my memories of that age
0: were your parents together throughout your childhood
1: so i my natural father my birth mother and natural father were married uh when i was born um, and they were associated with a church, a fairly big Christian church up here in Alaska. And uh, they were missionaries to Indonesia, New Zealand, Singapore, Taiwan, etc. So up until I was two or three, maybe four years old, they were still together. Uh, and then upon returning from those overseas missions, they separated And this is all anecdotal history. It's nothing I remember. It's just what I've been told. So uh, they separated, and then she soon married, like, in under six or seven months, she married this other creep uh, that adopted us uh, who was in my life until I ran away from home.
0: Did you have any contact with your biological father after they separated?
1: So many years later, when I was a, a young adult, uh i kind of made a figured out where he was at he was over in wyoming somewhere and i sort of made a small pilgrimage over to wyoming to try to see him and uh he was summarily uh dismissive and disinterested said uh you know i gave you up for adoption for a reason i don't really care to have anything to do with you uh or my grandkids and uh you know Don't come and bother me again was was pretty much the vibe. Not pretty much the vibe. That was specifically what he said. So, um, And then in the intervening years, of course, I've never heard from or seen him again.
0: Were you uh, close with your mother growing up?
1: I would say as I was growing up, I was close with my mother. Although, in hindsight, I just wonder about the sickness or the twistedness of that particular relationship. Uh, because that was some of what conflicted me, you know, when I ran away from home trying to reconcile my home life. Uh, because what sort of woman stays with the convicted child molester that she watched and facilitated abusing her own kids throughout their entire life until they had to forcibly run away from home? You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I was definitely close with my mom, but I feel like it was just some sort of a sick, relationship. Do you know if she was being abused herself by him? No, in fact, what's interesting about that is the dynamic in the household is that he was an extreme anger, you know, angry person um, and reacted to everything with yelling and violence, etc, etc. However, she was very controlling and was in charge of the household, you know, kind of in a in a passive aggressive way. So, and she is a large woman and a large person. Um, and then the other thing that complicates the dynamic is you have to you have to factor this whole home scenario through uh, this church slash cult, which we now know in hindsight is what it was that they were associated with this whatever version of deep. Christianity they were involved with, there's all kinds of spiritual hierarchy that takes place. You know what I'm saying? And uh, in that regard, she certainly was the queen of of the home.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the childhood abuse and trauma. From what I understand, you and your brother suffered from your adopted father.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: As much as you're willing to talk about it, if you'd be able to, you know, speak on that more, I'm not asking you to go into graphic details or anything of the sort, but, you know, just basic things that might've been done or, you know, was it a daily, weekly or monthly basis?
1: Right. So, I mean, the best way that I can lay out, you know, the home life to you, uh, is that first of all, you have to realize as a child, uh, and I'll use course language, So everybody just get used to that. It's the easiest way to convey some of these things where it's something of a mindfuck to have young kids raised in a religious paradigm where the discussions and the church meetings and everything three times a week and home fellowship and speaking in tongues and prophesying and people, you know, allegedly in direct communication with, with God. Uh, then bring you home and fashion, you know, like he, he had fashioned a, a two by four, which was about three and a half feet long and drilled holes in it and had used a jigsaw to cut a two handed handle in the end of it and wrapped electrical tape around it and wrote this side up on one side. And uh, it's just a difficult thing when you're a child. It's an extreme psychological abuse on top of everything else to try to reconcile that, These people are in direct communication with God, so clearly what they say and do is absolutely correct, you know, if not divine in nature, and yet on the daily, many times a week, for any infraction, he will haul you out to the garage and two-handed beat you like a farm animal until you fall on the floor. Uh, For what reason, I don't know, and what satisfaction a pervert of that nature gets out of it, I cannot explain to you uh but I will tell you that physically uh, it's devastating like there's a number of days I recall I couldn't sit down in my seat at school I had to stand up because the backs of my legs were swollen and bruised, et cetera et cetera and uh you know just living like that again with the confusion uh, of of being told that your parents are under divine authority, it's very confusing it's very odd and I mean I'll tell you, I mean, I have memories, maybe 12, 13 years old, I recall sitting on a Wednesday night service in this church in South Anchorage. And this is a giant church. At the time, uh, it was called Abbott Loop Christian Center, and it probably had a 1,200-person congregation. Uh, And I recall sitting there, and one of their sermons was about spanking or beating your children and how to do it in such a manner that it leaves less bruising or evidence but causes the maximum of pain so they were like they were literally preaching a service about how you beat your children uh from below their butt cheeks down to behind their knees because that's the softest tissue that hurts the most and i just you know just later on as an adult when you just think of how sick and how twisted that is that that's actually occurring in real life it's amazing to me it's absolutely amazing to me so Somehow uh, along the way, this deviant that adopted us, you know, beating us, didn't seem to satisfy whatever going, was going on in his head. So he used to also, you know, complicate the, the spiritual process by one of his little rituals as he would come in to pray for us at night. And I'm making little air quotes with my fingers here. Uh, and that was his time when my brother and I, my brother and I shared a room. Uh, where he would come in and, you know, try to touch our genitals and all types of things like that. And uh, again, as young kids, uh, you know, being taught that this is all God stuff and your parents are talking to God and they're all related to God, it's just, it's extremely difficult to make sense of what's happening to you, you know. And then from my mom's case, I remember one time that we just couldn't take it anymore and Nobody, neither one of us had the courage to say anything, so I I told Joel, that's my brother, uh, I'm going to tell her, I'm going to tell mom what he's doing. So I told her, uh, and she absolutely didn't believe a word we said and made me sit there on a kitchen stool uh, until he came home from work and had him march in the kitchen, and she did the standard, you know, tell him what you told me, tell him what you told me, made me recite the abuse to him, Uh, which he basically was very dismissive about um, and and mumbled something about being curious about whether we were maturing or, you know, something like that. And again, as a child, I didn't know better. But in hindsight, I think all of us can see just how sick and fucking twisted uh, this whole paradigm was, you know. And so um, that's sort of a, a... Kind of a little brief snapshot of what it was like in that household, as far as that goes.
0: Did anything ever get reported to whether you know the police or CPS, anything re- related to the abuse towards you or Joel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So eventually, uh, when I was about thirteen and my brother was sixteen, kind of the way it works is uh, these this particular church keeps a pretty tight net on its members, so we don't. You know, the church was made aware at some point, and they told us we needed to uh, listen to our parents and forgive him. So what happened is Joel found himself a little girlfriend who was outside of the sphere of the church, and she found out what was going on and absolutely freaked out. And so one night he ran away from home, stole my mom's car, uh, ran away with his girlfriend. Eventually they got popped by the cops parked in a snowbank somewhere. They were stuck in the snow. Um, and then when the cops showed up, he basically told them everything that had been going on at the house. So yeah, there was, there was definitely a trial and they hauled me in there to talk about what this dude had done. The church provided him an attorney. Um, and in the end of all of that litigation, um, he was given three years in prison, suspended, zero jail time to serve. And I believe three years of probation. Um, and he was also returned right back to the home. So he was convicted of second degree child abuse, I believe, second degree sexual assault of a minor. I can't remember which one. But, uh, you know, the church basically facilitated an attorney for him. A whole bunch of people showed up to testify on his behalf. And uh, that was the resolution of his charges. I don't know what the rules were at that time, but I do recall him having to register, but I think at that time when they complete their probation or their parole or whatever, um, they then no longer had to register. I believe that's how the law worked in the 90s uh, when his conviction took place. Um, So, yeah, it definitely resulted in a conviction. Yeah, that's how it worked. And that, you know, some of that is is very troubling because it's it's the same state that has me incarcerated now and the same state I live in. You know, this kind of ties back to your question about my mother, which is over the years, I have never spoken to her much ever since I left home, but... In the one or two times that I have, that is what I asked her, uh, and I've never gotten an answer nor an apology um, because I just can't fathom now as an adult and as a person who cares about kids in general, certainly my own um, and new ones that have come into my life, uh, how a mother could have stayed with a person even subsequent to his conviction for abusing her own kids. And I'm telling you, to the exclusion of her children, she stayed with this guy till his death. So it's a, bizarre, it's a bizarre thing that I can't reconcile.
0: What was your behavior like growing up, starting as early as you can remember?
1: Let me see, a lot of my behavior is sort of similar to what it is now. I was always a super early riser. I was always the first kid out in the neighborhood by myself. I always had a neighbor out or a job or something to do uh, at all times. Uh, I was always a chubby little fat kid, so I got made fun of here and there, you know what I mean? was certainly not a, a, not a lover boy growing up, you know? And uh, I remember just, you know, anything I could do to be out of the house or away from the house, that is what I did. So I spent a great deal of time outside. By myself um, again, like you asked about some memories. Like as a child, some of my best memories being very young, is it being four, four thirty in the morning and being all by myself with a giant load of newspapers, walking through the neighborhood, uh, and it just felt serene and calm and peaceful. Looking at the northern lights, you know, stuff like that. I just absolutely loved those moments. So I played instruments. Uh, being associated with the church I played the piano I played the saxophone I played the drums for a period of time Uh, well I was in I as far as schooling goes I was in homeschool um, from junior high on school and that was great because it facilitated me uh, starting when I was 13 years old I started packing moves for big-game guides So I did black bear, brown bear, mountain goat, mountain sheep, caribou, moose. And I was away from home for six, seven months at a time. And then I would come home and bang out a year's worth of schoolwork in about three, four months. um, Bag groceries at the store and just try to spend as little time as possible uh, around the nightmare, which home was.
0: What's the extent of your education?
1: So the extent of my education is... uh, I am uh, uh, on paper, I achieved a diploma and then a GED just because I've been in various, you know, facilities here and there along the way. Um, I've taken a number of non-official courses of learning, um, so as far as formalized college and things like that, I've taken a number of classes but nothing that's led to a degree of any sort. But uh, As far as informal schooling is concerned, I'm extremely well read and I've studied a number of different things under a number of different people and places, you know. But uh, I I always tell people I'm a student of the universe and I intend to keep my seat. So uh, I continue to learn to this very day. But as far as formalized education, uh, I don't, you know, I don't have like a college degree or something like that.
0: Did you engage in any type of criminal activity as a juvenile?
1: Well, so yeah, yeah, I sure did. So I ran away from home when I was 15, turning 16, climbed out the window. Again, I was saved by my first girlfriend. She, I met her while I was working uh, at a grocery store, bagging groceries. And eventually, after a period of time, she sort of heard what was going on in my home life and was absolutely horrified, and she's like, oh my God, I have to smuggle you out of this house. So she did, and uh, part of the process of leaving home, my parents found out I had been sneaking out with her, so I came home from one of those nights, and uh, my clothing was in trash bags on the front porch, and all of the windows and doors were locked, Um, and they had kept my Driver's license and my social security card, all my identifying papers, right? So, again, this was back in the day when you could buy a plane ticket and just get on a plane and fly somewhere with no ID. It wasn't required. So, at the time, my older brother was in Spokane, Washington, and somehow I got in contact with him. It had been many years. And uh, so, we bought my girlfriend and I bought plane tickets, flew to Spokane. And uh, again, I'm 16 years old at the time. And I got a job immediately as a telemarketer. Um, and I recall when payday came around, the boss was like, "Look, I got your paycheck right here, but I cannot give it to you unless you produce a picture ID and a social security card." Um, and it seems like rules for the game were different back then because I couldn't even request a birth certificate without my parents' authorization, which they were refusing to give for anything. So. I'm not justifying criminal behavior, but I will tell you, being very hungry and not being able to receive a paycheck, and not apparently leaning towards charitable places. I recall driving down the road. I had bought a $400 motorcycle, um, and and we were starving. We had no money. We had to eat, and I remember thinking to myself, "I need to find somewhere where people leave their money and go somewhere else because we're literally starving to death." And it's just like a, a A horrible blessing or a curse of some type, I happened to look over and there was a health club that I was driving by and I was like, oh, yeah, people go work out and leave their wallets in these lockers. So I literally pulled my motorcycle in, walked into this health club and told him, hey, man, can I work out for the day? Just check it out. And he's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Locker room's back there. And I kid you not, I went back in that locker room, and I just started opening lockers that were unlocked. And no kidding, probably the sixth one, I opened it, and somebody's stuff was just hanging in there. It was a guy's clothing and everything, and there was his wallet. And I pulled it out, and this poor guy, it must have been his payday or something, who knows, because there was $1,000 in his wallet, and oh my God, I thought... I had just hit the biggest jackpot of all time, bro. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I left, rode my motorcycle back to our busted, empty apartment, and I threw the money in the air like we won the lottery. And uh, that was the beginning of a long trail of me being a thief and a liar, um, because once I discovered that method of getting money... Um, this was back in the day where, again, you could take, like, you could, uh, take a checkbook and I recall going to the mall with someone else's checkbook and just writing checks at this place, that place, the other place, no ID, you know what I mean? And a retailer would just take your check. And, um, so yeah, eventually, um, having run around Spokane doing that for a number of months, um, I was arrested, um, for forgery and theft and things like that. And, uh. You know, kind of humorously, but not, I recall being hauled into a a detective's office in Spokane, Washington, having been arrested as a juvenile. And this guy sets this case file on the counter in between us, and it's thick. I'm telling you, it's like, it's at least a good 10 inches thick. And he's like, you know what? I thought we were dealing with a white collar crime ring in this town, but I've got 68 cases that I could probably stick on you. You want to tell me what you've been up to the past couple of months? And, uh, I just fell apart, you know what I mean, and told him, man, I just, it was me. I did it. I ran around, and I did that stuff, and I didn't know what to do, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in the end of it, as a 16-year-old juvenile in Spokane, Washington, I think I played guilty to three felonies, maybe two felonies, something like that, and uh, they didn't give me a long... Juvenile sentence, but of course, at that time it was absolutely devastating to me. I was separated from my girlfriend, you know what I mean all on my own um, it was a big deal but but that's kind of how I started down a trail of making poor choices.
0: What about after you turned eighteen? I know you have a criminal record in Washington, Idaho, Montana, and California that I could find. What were some of the charges and convictions
1: well, so I have a number of so that that sort of thing with credit cards and fraud and things like that uh, sort of became like a how should I say it became a skill and it's a horrible skill to acquire is the best way I can describe it to you. like once you learn that practice, it has a number of it has a number of layers to it where you can develop it further. So I mean later on in my adult life, You know, I worked very, very hard and did construction jobs and ended up in a number of states doing a number of things for a living, Uh, but having a lifestyle that exceeded uh, the amount of income at times, I would fall back on these credit card fraud or forgery-type crimes. Um, It's just something, it's a terrible thing when you learn that in your youth Um, and you have not developed a moral compass that is appropriate, it just sort of sticks with you throughout your whole life, you know. So I would hate to misstate specific charges here, there, or whatever, because it's been a long path. But, I mean, I'm sure there was a number of them related to that sort of thing along the way. Um, And I certainly went to jail for, you know, usually no longer than, I don't know, maybe 120 days up until you know something here in Alaska. Um, so short jail stints, but certainly was thrown in jail here, there, or whatever in a number of different states.
0: So you never did any prison time for any of those crimes prior to the ones you're in prison for
1: now. No, no. Nope. Although, although, actually, I, I I'll say this: no, not in any of those states or any of those times. However, many many years later, I returned here to the state of Alaska. And I did four years in prison for a credit card fraud charge. And that was the first time I had ever been to prison in my life. Um, And it actually was a four-year sentence. I did two years, 24 months or so. Um, And then I was released off of that charge. And then some number, maybe a year later or so, I can't remember specifically, I was arrested on the charges I'm arrested on now.
0: Let's talk about those charges that you were arrested on and convicted. Let's talk about each case in chronological order, but before we do that, let's talk about what led up to the first attack, and was all this pre-planned, or was it a spur-of-the-moment type of thing?
1: I would say that, uh, was it planned or was it spur-of-the-moment? It was both. Uh, It was heat-of-the-moment and very passionate and also planned. Um, I had been gone from Alaska for a period of time, had just recently come back into this community. Um, And I'm sure the seeds that were sown in me as a youth uh, took a great deal of time to blossom. Um, And the thing is, I have always held in my heart uh, uh, a certain feeling towards people that do these sorts of crimes against children. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, Alaska can be a dark place, bro. Alaska has a whole lot of uh, stuff that goes on in that regard, and it just struck a chord in me. And uh, so, yeah. Specifically, uh, there were some guys whose names I had received, and uh, I definitely went and sought them out with purpose. Um, you know, um, And certainly it was not for some sort of sick, self-serving reason. Um, it was as a deterrent uh, and to deliver a message, which was much needed in this community. That's the reason why I did it. And, uh, you know, I... That's about the best way I can describe that. So spur of the moment, maybe not. Heat of the moment, absolutely. Um, did I did I specifically go specific places for sure?
0: Were you targeting like individuals that had worse crimes when it came to children, rather than like like molestation cases or whatever? Or did you jump up to the to the ones that were like brutal, uh, you know, like sex crimes or sex well, attacks?
1: Well, we'll just we'll say this. Um, I. I I can only comment, uh, and I can't discuss their names, but I can tell you the three people I was charged with assaulting, uh, one uh, was convicted of raping his own daughter and uh, was caring for the daughter from that rape with his daughter um, at the time I came to see him, um, and, and that was something that there should have been a court injunction against. Another one was convicted of uh, molesting his 10-month-old baby granddaughter um, and had children in his house at the time I came to visit him. He was a youth music leader. Um, And then the third one I was convicted of assaulting was a child pornographer. You know, I I will leave it... I will just say I I won't comment specifically on, on some aspects of my path, but I will tell you, you know, by way of example... You know, typically, if a person gets arrested for, you know, shoplifting at Walmart three times on a Thursday night, chances are he's probably been doing it for quite some time, quite a number of places. He just happened to get caught. Um, So, you know, um, I will just tell you that, you know, it's very surprising to me that the state of Alaska would react with such ferocity When, as a small child, I stood in the exact same courtroom I was sentenced in uh, while they gave the man that beat me like a farm animal and molested me and my brother, convicted of doing so, zero days in prison. Meanwhile, they gave me 23 years in prison for having the audacity to beat the brakes off of three pedophiles. Uh, So to me, that is the most shocking and glaring aspect of this whole scenario. Um, And I mean, I I am a linear thinker, and I'm a rational person, and I don't expect to be forgiven for breaking the law or let off the hook. And to that end, um, I wrote them an offer through the newspaper to the prosecutor's office, and I told them I will plead guilty to any combination of charges you wish, anything you want, with the following caveat. My sentence is to equal in length what each pedophile served in prison for harming a child. So the guy that raped his own daughter received two years and change. I'll serve his two years and change. The guy that was convicted of molesting his 10-month-old granddaughter got three years in prison. I'll serve his three years. So now we're at five years, five and a half years. The child pornographer did two years or did a year and a program or something. So I'll do his, and I told them I'll even serve the three years in prison that you suspended for the monster that made me. So I'll do nine years, six months, run that. Right now I'll sign. I'll plead to whatever you want. And, of course, they summarily laughed that offer out of the courtroom and said, this is not how we conduct business in the state of Alaska. We want to send a message. So, ultimately, they sentenced me to three times longer than all of the pedophiles combined served for assaulting children. So, try to make sense of that. And I just, it was a very surreal moment for me because I literally found myself as an adult standing in the exact same courtroom. Same furniture, same carpet, everything that I stood in as a young child. Uh, And listening to them detail how they're sending a message, the only message that I could possibly receive that they sent was, check this out, in the state of Alaska, if you fuck with little kids, you're good to go. No big deal. But if you come here and fuck with the people that molest little kids, we're going to throw the book at you, and you're done. We're going to bury you under the building. That was literally the message that came across loud and clear, and I just accepted it with silence and kept it pushing because, to be honest with you, my entire life, this has been the message from this system. You know, I lost my life when I was a child at the hands of a molester, and the state of Alaska did nothing. No follow-ups, no check-ins, no counseling, no, "Are, are you okay? They sent the guy right back to the house. So to stand there and look at the shock and horror and just, oh, we're horrified. How dare you go out and do these things? I was horrified, but they were horrified. And I thought to myself, like, how could you think that a young child that was molested in this day would grow up and not have a chip on his shoulder against people like this? And I'm absolutely shocked, and this world must be full of much better developed people than I am because there's an ocean of them out there, many of whom have written me letters in the meantime, and their character and their morals must be so far developed beyond mine because they do not lash out at the sex offenders they become aware of. And I'm absolutely impressed by everyone else uh, because somehow they survived their traumas and developed themselves far beyond where I'm at um, because still to this day, there's a pain inside of me that has not gone away.
0: Can you walk me through the three incidents that took place, starting with Charles Albee?
1: Well, it's probably not, I probably am not going to do that. I'm probably not going to describe each individual event, uh, only because um, I think there's court provisions that prevent me from doing so that may have future repercussions. Um, But what I will tell you um, is that. There was never a time, I'm not a mean-spirited person, nor am I a sick fuck, Um, so there was never a time that I entered any residence or went anywhere to seriously uh, injure anyone. Um, So by the time I went to the third person's home that I was accused of assaulting um, with a hammer... Uh, In that instance, uh, this is a very large person whose home I had broken into, and uh, he probably was feeling a fight or flight in defense defense of his home type energy, and he chose to start swinging on me. Um, And in that moment, for someone like me, uh, facing someone like that, it's not a fight that I'm gonna lose and uh, I just happened to have a hammer in my backpack because I had broken the sideline. I'd been knocking on the outside of his house for a long period of time to get him to answer his door, and he was refusing to do it, so I bashed the sideline of his house in with a a hammer that I had in a toolbox in my car. Uh, Anyway, so I cracked him a couple of times with that hammer, so I think this story has been reported a number of different ways out there that I was like roaming the town assaulting people with a hammer when that's not the case. Um, Most of both of the other guys basically got open hand bitch slapped a number of times. They weren't seriously injured. You know what I mean? I'm quite certain they were frightened uh, and terrified. But uh, there was one instance where a serious injury took place, and that was as a result of a fight that took place.
0: How long after the third incident had you been arrested?
1: So the third incident, uh, the thing is, this guy had a big, giant house, uh, a very nice house, and it was like a bed and breakfast as well. I wasn't aware of that. So when I broke into his house uh, and climbed in uh, as I was going back towards his bedroom, because I had been pounding on his bedroom window, his front door, telling him, come answer your door, homeboy. I'm here to talk to you, and he wouldn't do it. I didn't realize it, but he had a couple staying in the house that night. So this guy and his girl are coming out of the bedroom because they heard noise. And uh, I told them get back in your room. This doesn't have anything to do with you. And so they sort of kind of backpedaled and shut their door. So I'm sure they called the police in that moment. Uh, And then I proceeded to go. uh, And this guy was trying to slam his door. So I proceeded to push my way in there and have my little interaction with him. So anyway, uh, when that little fight was over with, I went back outside the house and got back in my car. And as I was driving to the end of the street, the police had probably been called, you know, for five minutes already or something to that extent. And uh, they just happened to pull in just at the end of the street. Thirty seconds sooner, I wouldn't have been there when they showed up. (laughs) Excuse me. So they sort of blocked me in and I got out of the car. it was a very surreal moment because I stood out there for a long period of time, you know, and there was quite a few police officers by the time it was over. And some of them were patting me on the back, asking me, did you get this motherfucker? Did you get him good? And stuff like that. So it was, you know, it was an it was an interesting evening, I'll just tell you that.
0: How did you feel after you were charged officially with 18 counts of assault, robbery, burglary, and theft?
1: Well, you know... I should probably say more so that night, as these guys were kind of going through their motions, you know, saying that sort of thing to me, I just had this very heavy sense of, well, that's it. This part of my life is over. (laughs) Excuse me. And uh, I just really uh, had come to terms with it. And very quickly I realized, like, look, actually... My life was taken from me when I was a young man, and so this was just an extension of the rest of my life being taken away. Um, and then, and then, you know, a few months after that, yeah, when they detailed out the charges to me, I w- certainly was not expecting uh, six or seven or eight felonies for each one of these three people that I went and visited. So they definitely stacked the charges to the extreme, <clears throat> um, and I think. Mm-hmm. That uh, in hindsight now too, like apparently in the criminal system, you never want to be the first of anything um, to commit some sort of crime, and in this instance, apparently in Alaska, I was first of this sort of vigilante type crime. Fucking uh, want to just you know bury you under the courthouse um, for for your behavior.
0: When you were convicted and received a 23-year prison sentence, what was your reaction to that?
1: I was completely numb, 100% numb. I mean, I I already knew. I already knew. I mean, I could just see the veracity uh, on the the prosecutor's face, on the judge's face. I knew exactly what it was all about. This wasn't about the, the proper mitigation of an equitable sentence for someone who had been molested in this state and grew up. Uh, and had a horrible childhood. This was 100% about sending a message, we don't want people beating up registered sex offenders. And I knew, I knew it was coming. Um, The other thing too, which is very bizarre is this, I will tell you, around that time frame, there was a circle of people that were out stealing cars in Anchorage. There There was a very high incident of automobile theft, right? So there was this vigilante Facebook group that was out there tracking down these stolen cars and et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of these Facebook car theft group people had been arrested because he had ran a stolen car off the road and tried to ar- citizens arrest the guy or whatever. So when they haul him into court, I kid you not, they showed it on TV and in the paper, and the courtroom was packed, bro. I'm talking people all the way out into the hallways. And they were up in arms like, you can't, you can't mess with this guy because people have been trying to steal our property and these property crimes have to stop. And I couldn't believe how the community turned out because they didn't want their property being stolen. It was just a big deal and tons of support. So juxtapose that with a few weeks later, I'm standing in the courtroom absolutely by myself with nothing but media and my brother maybe one other person to support me and it was absolutely surreal because I thought to myself this is how sad it is in our communities and society today where if you fuck with somebody's property or their home or their stuff they will turn out in force to support anyone who tries to put a stop to that but if you mess with children people are either ashamed or scared or they just refuse to acknowledge it's even occurring and no one bro no one will turn out to support that person
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
1: because there was zero understanding or consideration from the court as pertains to, like, I have a PTSD diagnosis from my childhood, all these sorts of things. They absolutely did not care. Uh, And the same month that an ocean of people turned out because they're horrified over their property being tampered with, no one turned out uh, to support someone that was against their children being tampered with. And I was just shocked by that, shocked.
0: Since being incarcerated, are you ever around any inmates with sex crimes against children? And if so, have you had any uh, interactions with any of them?
1: Well, you know what's funny is, uh, so a lot of the staff when I was first transferred here, of course, my case had some amount of notoriety to it. So they were all very hyped and very excited because they thought I was going to be this wild pedophile bashing you know, missile, and they were just excited to see it all go down. And I'm certain that I disappointed a lot of them because, A, number one, they do a very excellent job of separating uh, pedophiles and child molesters. So we don't see them much. Um, but number two, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not an ignorant person, um, and attempting to get parole at some point means you have to be careful and wise with your choices. The other thing, interestingly, in prison, a pedophile is not an emergency. They have no access to kids. They're in here with themselves and other freaks that they live with. Um, So it's not an emergency situation where someone could tamper with a child today or has last night. You know what I mean? Um, So I'm very pragmatic about those things. And also, um, I believe that I have done my fair share of heavy lifting for this lifetime. Um, and it's not something that I will probably choose to do again in this lifetime, and it's not um, something consumes my thoughts on a day-to-day basis. It's simply, uh, it's become a moment or a part of the past. Interestingly, too, uh, as a point of reference, along the way, uh, you know, at least one of these CEOs was posting comments on one forum or another that I became aware of. And it's pretty sick how some of them think he was basically deriding me for having come to this prison and not smashed out any pedophiles, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought uh, that that speaks to the ignorance of people in this community. Like, if you spend 10 minutes around me and you think I'm that much of a fool... Uh, then you haven't paid attention at all um, there was there was a time in my life where it was very important and meaningful to send a certain type of message to a certain type of people um, and it was very necessary um, and the other thing too is as a form of healing which sounds very unorthodox and might not be acceptable to anyone just imagine uh, when I If any tattooed badass motherfucker would have kicked the door in and beat the brakes off the dude that was molesting me, I'm quite certain I would have given a small cheer. And I may have believed in the God that these people were worshiping all through my childhood. But that never happened for me, and it never happened for anyone that I knew. Um, And so the fact that I was able to be that for some child or two somewhere else uh, is amazing. It's a privilege. And so that's that's where my heart is at um, on that whole subject matter. But now, now is the time in life for me to move on to other things and worry about, you know, I have a beautiful girlfriend in my life now and a wonderful little daughter uh, to think about and stuff like that. So it's like my life has been transformed uh, on the inside um, since I've been doing this prison time. So it's kind of where I'm at on that.
0: Have you taken any type of rehabilitation classes or been able to further your education since being incarcerated?
1: So that's a good that's a good question, Um, and I will tell you again that Alaska is a very particular sort of system. So we've recently got a new governor, um, and as the native elders in Alaska say, a fish rots from the head down. And I will tell you, since this governor has been in office, he has retooled the parole board. Um, and has reduced granting parole from 66% down to 16%. He has canceled every single rehabilitative inreach program, pulled all volunteer passes. Uh, we are not allowed to go to college online. Um, for the past year and a half due to COVID, allegedly they have canceled all education and all classes and everything is shut down period. You, can't, you cannot do anything in that regard. Um, I have petitioned this facility specifically um, and the warden and the mental health department to facilitate PTSD therapy. I've told them I'll pay for it myself, I'll do it by telephone, and they have all been denied. They refuse to allow me to even have my own PTSD therapy over the phone. Um, and. In lieu of all of those restrictions, uh, I have been able to attain 41 certificates from a number of classes uh, the first three or four years that I was at this prison before the governor swap took place. Um, So sitting here with 41 certificates, um, and I would love, like like one of the core provisions was... While you're in prison, get get some PTSD therapy. You need that. Okay, cool. Well, they've summarily denied it. They said they will facilitate uh, drugs or a solitary cell if I'm in crisis and I want to kill myself or something. Uh, but other than that, they don't have staff uh, or the concern to facilitate those things. <clears throat> so hmm. we're basically in a, in a struggle, especially here in Alaska. It's absolutely insane. Um, They have gone to an old world housing and policing style where they do not want to let anyone out of prison for any reason, nor do they want to let you advance yourself in any way, shape, or form. So it's a fight right now. It's a struggle. And I mean, I'm telling you, up until including yesterday, uh, I was sending requests, can I please get an application for uh, 18 month? spiritually-based treatment program, and the response I got yesterday was, yeah, sure, here's the application, but there's no one to send it to because all of those programs are shut down in the state. Um, So, and I'm not a complainer, and I'm not a defeatist, and I'm not a whiner, but I will tell you um, they are organized in their opposition to letting anyone get out of prison in the state of Alaska.
0: I know you mentioned that you were diagnosed with PTSD have you been diagnosed with any other mental illnesses?
1: No. No, and I've been and I've been to like it's a it's a oh, it's like a standard process when you get processed and housed in a prison that they give you a number of mental health, you know, screenings and things like that. So I I mean, I don't find myself to be depressive or, you know, I don't have any symptoms of any Disorders. Um, and and I, honestly, I was resistant to even acknowledging a PTSD diagnosis because I just had never had counseling or therapy of any type in my lifetime. So I was very, it seemed like a, a weakness that was difficult for me to accommodate in my world. You know what I mean? Um, so even that diagnosis in and of itself, I mean, sure i'd be grateful to, to have it addressed and flesh it out and see if that's a thing and it's you know it's could give me a better happier life or something if i could get some sort of something to address it <clears throat> but again this this prison system is a trap and it's a dangerous trap um, and under this leadership um telling you that this doc structure it is absolutely crazy the opposition um, that we're getting up here, it's it's wild.
0: How do you feel having the title of the Alaskan Avenger, being regarded as a vigilante hero of sorts?
1: So, I mean, at risk of sounding trite, um, I will tell you that uh, all of those things are are external to me. Um, There's nothing I've ever done that I ever anticipated or wanted any notoriety for at all. Uh, I'm a very simple man, um, and I'm quite certain that uh, if somebody called me tomorrow and asked me to help them move a heavy fridge, I would show up and do it. Um, Or if somebody told me, you know, they needed some groceries carried in the house, I certainly would do it. Um, And this was just another one of those sorts of things. It just had much heavier consequences.
0: Do you have any regrets with anything you've done in life?
1: Wow, that's a a hard thing to answer um, because this life has been a terrible, fascinating, horrible, awesome journey. Uh, And even the solitude and loss and pain of it all has been awesome in its own regard. And I don't mean that in a masochistic way. I just mean the struggle has, has developed me and uh, I mean, I suppose—do I have regrets? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. I wish I would have uh, learned that I had value as a person, or learned how to love myself at a much younger age. And I'm still working on that now. So that's a definite—that's a definite regret. Um, and I suppose, you know, that it's just important. It's important for people to know that it might be equally as beneficial to go out and do 10 amazing things for 10 different kids than one horrible thing to somebody who abuses them. So I would just encourage you uh, because it's pretty sad when you're a child and you lost your childhood and had a fucked up childhood to lose your adulthood too. It's kind of a it's kind of a shitty outcome.
0: If you had to give any piece of advice to a survivor of abuse to help cope with everyday life in a positive way, what might that be?
1: Well, what I would say is that you might not be aware of it, but you are part of a very large and very powerful and very wonderful family. And there are an ocean of us out here that are survivors uh, of the same exact thing that you have survived. Uh, and the only way that you can, you can really experience how meaningful that is, is to reach out to one of us, uh, and that has happened to me over the last couple of years. I've probably had three or four or five hundred people reach out to me, and I'll tell you, there's amazing, beautiful, strong people out there that have survived this, and uh, we are a family. We're a super eclectic family, I'll tell you that, but it is the case and we should always have each other's back um, as opposed to hiding alone um, because it's nothing you did to yourself, um, and you shouldn't be alone.
0: Before we conclude this interview, is there anything you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered yet?
1: Man, I would just encourage everybody, you know what I mean? Think positive um, and be aware of what's going on in your neighborhood and in your community and stuff like that, and pay attention to these little youngsters. Because they will give you signs if they're in need of help. They will let you know if you pay attention. So I would just encourage everybody, it it makes a lot of sense and it goes a long way if communities uh, pay attention to what's going on around them. I think everybody is really turtled up and is really, you know, isolated nowadays in neighborhoods and in different communities in this country. And I think that uh, community policing as far as being aware of what's going on in your neighborhood and who lives in your neighborhood is extremely important. Um, So I would just encourage everybody, um, you know what I mean, to do so. My sister has a Facebook page and a a change.org petition out there that you can go sign. Um, And I, I suppose we're gonna present this to the parole board in July of 2023. Uh, when I go up in front of the parole board. So that'd be great if you want to go and find it and sign it. Honestly, I don't know how you do that, but uh, I think she has uh, created a link tree that has a number of different things on it that people can check out. Um, And I think think you find that on a Facebook page, but I'm not certain. (laughs) And she may have sent you the info, but I honestly am not aware of what all the specifics of that are, but Anything anybody wants to do to support me um, or go sign the petition, I would greatly appreciate it very much.
0: That was my interview with Jason Vukovic. Thank you for listening.